Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Los Angeles-based veteran jazz trumpeter Winston Byrd. On January 5th, 2022, we had an open and frank discussion about the world we live in, life in COVID times, his upcoming projects, and his well-oiled life in music. Over decades, he has built a reputation for melding his professional style to a wide range of musical genres, like classical, blues, pop, jazz, and improvisation. He has been performing since the age of 17 and devoted himself to music in both the studio and performing live with legendary cats. His stories are quite epic. Enjoy. Hey, thanks for taking a minute out for the show. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. I guess before we get to projects and what's been going on, the elephant in the room is really COVID. So since March of 2020, everything's been kind of turned upside down. How have you been doing creatively and otherwise to kind of get through what we've been living through lately? Since, uh, I guess we're going to start at March 2020. At the beginning of it, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, a lot of my friends, a lot of my peers, a lot of my detractors, everybody was mixed. Then June happened. Actually, June 28th, uh, my brother died. And from what it seemed like, uh, it was COVID-related. Uh, he worked for American Airlines for 35 years plus, and that pretty much sent me and everything into pretty much a spin. Uh, from there, it, was, it wasn't it was so much about my career, my music. It was about my parents at that point. I had uh, pretty much left my house in L.A. and, and went home to to look at, you know, to, to, to go through the, the whole motions with them and, and laying my brother to rest, we, which we actually, we, we, we brought him uh, somewhere else uh, that he wanted to, he always wanted to go to California. And uh, so we laid him to rest by me, actually close to me. I was just talking about this to some friends that 2020 was kind of like a blur to me after my brother died because I was just going in so many different directions. Uh, I was starting to work again. I was doing a lot of studio stuff remotely. One of the things, and one of the things I'm, ve- I'm very proud of, uh, that I've been in the band uh, called uh, The Nasty Delicious, led by world-renowned comedian, actor, musician, great brother, dear friend, friends of this family, uh, Craig Robinson. He was even there for me when my brother died, and I'm never going to forget that. As were a lot of guys in the band, and, and, and a lot of LA musicians that I hold very dearly to me: Al Starks, Leslie Benedict, great players. What was so surprising was it was a blessing actually that out of nowhere this New Year's Eve gig came up, and it was for Fox. We were actually the house band for Fox's uh, New Year's Eve uh, with uh, Ken Jong and Joel McHale. Even those guys are really nice. They, you know, Joel McHale knew my plight, and I was smoking around that time, and I've always had a bad run-in with, with smoking. And uh, I made a promise to him and Craig that I would give up cigarettes at, uh, at the first of the year. And by the grace of God, a year later, I'm smoke-free. Um, yeah, I haven't had a smoke. I haven't had a cigarette in, in, in over a year, which I'm glad of. I'm thankful to, to those two and my bandmates for pushing me to, to, you know, to just get it all straight. And as another friend of mine said, you needed a win after everything that you went through. Because it was not only that, Joe, it was I was dealing with a situation in L.A. that was brought on by other musicians that was very racially tinged. And I was fighting with that at the same time that, you know, right around my brother passing. All of that, just it, it just became like a whirlwind. I, have, I found something so interesting that I posted on my Facebook. If you get to see it, I don't know if we're friends, but feel free to friend me. And it says, it goes by year by year, everything that literally happened to me. It goes, um, 2019 changed me. 2020 broke me. 2021 opened my eyes. and 2022, I'm coming back. This is my road back. I'm taking it one step at a time, a lot wiser, a lot smarter, you know, because in this life, I'm going to be 50 this year. And I started my professional career at 16. So I'm about almost 35 years in the hole. I've been lucky. Well, luck is down the list. I'm going to say that I'm blessed. I've been watched over because there's a lot of situations that I've most guys wouldn't come back from that I came back from, and I'm thankful for it. 
I know that this is a uh, I know that this is a, a tough business. I know that this is all a, you know. It's always oh, a dog eat dog business. But you know what? There's a limit. There's a limit to how far you got to go with this, and it just seems like the farther we go in time, the 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 more how can I say what's the what's the what's the gentlest word I could put on this, Joe? It 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 it, it, it just gets more saturated with you know I'll sell my mom to do this gig you know and and it's not it's not about that you know there was a generation before us that guys like Snooky Young and Bill Watchers or whatever they were always helpful to young musicians but within a generation man it's become so dark I don't let the darkness bother me because I fight you know I mean and some people sit up there oh you fight oh I'm just no you got to fight for what you believe in. You got to fight for what's right. You can't let anybody tell you narcissistically that, oh, well, you're wrong, or, oh, he didn't mean it like that. If you say something to somebody that's wrong, you said it. I had yeah. something said to me wrong by one of L.A.'s top trumpet players. He said it. He knew he said it. I have him on tape admitting it, that he said it, but all his friends around him tried to make me look like a goat, and I don't mean the greatest of all time. And to those people that they're listening to this podcast, I know who you are, and we're going to meet soon. It's not, and it's going to be under karma circumstances because you knew you were wrong going into it, and you knew he said it, and it was wrong. I have never had another human being talk to me like that. I mean, I've heard the N word since I was in high school, or no, I'm sorry, I take that back, kindergarten. It's yeah. been it's been an interesting run up to this point, Joe. And it's not and you know, I'm not here to give you a dark interview or complain to anybody. I'm just no, telling get, you how it is. I, I, I get it and I think we've entered a time in our history now where there's enough people in this country that believe untruths. It's starting to become a, a thing and it's frightening because there is a lot of things. There's disinformation, there's people that are crying about elections that shouldn't have been won and uh, that all of it, you know, whether it's we should be getting vaccines or not getting vaccines. Like when did science and logic and proven results become something that people are murmuring about and saying it's wrong? I, I get it. And I think with a lot of things, I think that what, what the pandemic did is we already as a country were a car teetering on the edge. Things yeah, but what the happen. pandemic did, it made everybody sit home and look in the mirror and look at themselves. And some yeah. people can't even do that because that damn mirror will crack. Amen. You know, it's well, something if you got to face your own, excuse me, and I, I know it's a podcast, forgive my French, but some people need to face their own shit. Yeah. Because when they throw it at other people who are just minding their own business, who are just out there trying to do what they do and do the best that they can at what they do. Oh, no, I can't do this because you're going to outshine me, so i got to piss on your parade. Well, this is now January 5th, 2022, and I've made my bones on January 1st that the next ones that come over to either you come right or there's going to be a problem. Yeah. This is not a threat. It's just a promise. I treat everybody with love and kindness, but I've been bitten my ass so many times to where I'm just like, now, you know, hey, well, if you can dish it out, you better be able to take it because I'm going to throw it back, and it's not going to be pretty. I understand. I understand. Well, and so speaking of things that are going on, do you have any new projects that are in the works right now for a new well, year? Right, right now, right before COVID hit, I was working on a project. It was a tribute to Chuck Mangione, and we were, we were, what we were doing was going back over his career and like going and and digging out tunes when he was with uh, with Art Blakey and the Jazz Brothers, you know, to say, you know, he just didn't fall out of the sky with, you know, feels so good. We wanted to give you a history, and literally maybe about three or four months before COVID hit, I had just recorded all the small group tunes, and we were just starting to put together the. Um, the uh, 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 the formation of starting to do like the larger band tunes, like the big band stuff that he had done, and also shifting into the more pop stuff that he did when COVID hit. So it's been put on the shelf for right now. My thing is, Joe, and I'm going to be blunt, honest about it. I'm not going to put myself in harm's way, and I'm not going to put anybody else in harm's way, you know, to 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 get a project or a dollar done. 
I'm just not going to do that. I, I want I want Dr. Tony to come up and say, hey, we're gonna we're all good now. You don't have to wear your mask anymore. We finally beat this. Then I will resume. Now there's been some other people that have called me for their projects and like Craig and when we did the 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 the, the um the New Year's Eve thing, you know, that was totally like to the hilt. We had doctors, we had we were tested before we went on the set and we were tested before we even got anywhere near the set. So those things I can I can roll with. But see I don't have that kind of wherewithal to do for my thing, so I would rather Hey, I can postpone it until everything calms down. But for, for people like that, oh, yeah, I'll go work for them because I know I'm going to be safe. And there are other people that I've worked for in, in the interim that, you know, all the, all, the, all the appendages, everything is safe. And we can go in there, we can do it, and, and what have you. But I think of my grandmother this, at this particular time right now. And I remember something she used to say when there would be like this really bad electrical summer storm out there. And she would just say, just She'd turn all the lights off in my parents' house. She turn we turn off all the lights and just go sit and be and just be still until the storm passed. So that's what I'm doing. I'm sitting and being still until the storm passes because every day I get news updates on my phone. Forty thousand more infected. Hospitals are at the at the brim. And I'm like, what is why won't why won't people just if we all cool out and do the right thing, we'll get through this. Yeah, but I get it. You know it. what? I, I'm not one to tell somebody else what to do. I'm not going to be one to say, hey, you need to go get a vaccine. You, you, can, you are your own person. I know I got vaccinated. I got boosted. My parents are vaccinated boosted. That's all that matters to me. Everybody else, if you want to get vaccinated boosted, God bless you. Be around here for a long time. But if you're not vaccinated boosted, all I can do is pray for you. If you don't want it, if you want to believe the hype, and all this other BS out here, let me just, I, I hate to stray from the music, but I just read a story today about a politician, and I think it was Arizona, a female politician who yeah, just came out Southern against California. all that. Yep, and yeah. you know where she is today? Dead. She died. Yeah. You know how many of those stories come out, man? I mean, it's like, I get it. It's like, how is it that these people that are yelling the loudest against it are the ones that are in the headlines? And then, I, man, it, it, it's, it's Joe. There's it's, an old saying in my in my side of the tracks that was actually made into a play. Your arms are too short to box with God. You yeah. know what? Uh, every every time I've ever seen anybody or heard somebody thumb their nose at God, I start stepping away from them. I'm like, let yeah. me uh, let me go over here. <laughs> you know, yeah. let me step over by the wall because when that lightning bolt comes, I don't want to get singed. You know? Yeah. So I mean. Too much off topic, but the world today, man, I mean, it's just, and now we're looking at the music end of it, and I just found out a few minutes ago, and I agree with Naris, we must postpone the Grammys. Mm -hmm. So they have just been postponed. It needs to be. I mean, how are you going to have them when just a few days ago at the Rose Bowl, and I just, I, I had to go to the store, and I rode by there. And all I could hear was, and I got home, turned the TV on. I didn't see one mask. Yeah. I said, okay, all right. Yeah. As my as my grandmother used to say, a hard head makes for a soft ass. I can't, I can't, you know. It's not yeah. my it's not yeah. my place to tell people what to do, but it just seems that we're in a point now where if we don't come together. This shit's going to be around for a long time, and it's going to divide us even farther and farther and farther and farther apart. It's going to divide us politically. It's going to divide us socially. It's going to divide us musically. It's going to divide us artistically, and it's going to divide us humanly if we yeah. don't just yeah. stop acting like asses about it. You know, yeah. we're paying attention to the wrong shit. Who gives a damn about the Kardashians? Let's give a damn about the human element, and let's all get well. Absolutely. Amen. You know, so, we're living in a musical society where these young upstarts know absolutely nothing about Red Garland and Wynton Kelly, but they're saying, hey, give me a record contract because I just graduated from school hot, and I'm the baddest thing since sliced bread. Okay, well, who you played with? And that answers the question right there. But, you know, it's, it's to each his own. I've done well. I'm going to keep doing well. I got my own lane. 
But I look around me and I just see chaos, and it saddens me because I see I too many people that want what somebody else has, and I see too many people that are willing to throw their own whatever under the bus just to get ahead of somebody else instead of working for it. My parents are blue collar, and they taught me and my brother that hard work and getting somewhere in life. That's that's not what it is now. It's not what it is now. And sorry to say that, and I still try to believe that it's it's that, but it's not. When you have American Idol and The Voice and all that, everybody wants instant fame. Put it in a microwave, thirty seconds. You're the biggest thing since sliced bread. But here's the caveat: Is it going to be that way tomorrow? Because if somebody does what you did and does it better than you, you're old news. So was it worth it? We persevere. And I'm thankful that I made it this far, Joe. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, I'm in the same boat. I'm 49. I'll be 50 this year. I understand. I feel it. Um, I see a lot of this. It, it's strange, man. You know, I mean, we used to hear older generations talk about how the newer generations changed. But I don't know that we've seen a sea change as much as we have maybe even in just the last few years. Like, there's things that are happening right now that, I mean, when there used to be political discourse and things that were going on, it was like, you know, there was a respect. There was, I mean, even if there was differences. You know, I used to be able to do that with people that were different political lines. But now, it's volatile. People are just out to lunch and believing yeah. total, complete falsehoods. And it's like, there is a, there's like an alter, it's like, it's like a weird version of the matrix that's happening. Like, when did we get here? And, you, and, and you know what happened? I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. I'm actually watching this documentary with my wife about the nineties, about all these different things that happened. And what happened is what they're trying to say is all of these talk shows like Springer and Jenny Jones and all that stuff, when all of that started kind of glorifying violence and all of this nonsense, we made it okay to get a reality TV hero in the White House. And then yeah. we made it okay to, like, bend fiction so much that all of the, like, morons and hillbillies that exist in this world can buy into it, and all well, of a sudden they believe lies. And it's you got to dig in his backyard. you got to remember, he had a copy of Mein Kampf on his bedside, and that's just basically the rule book how to run a country and run it into the ground and become the hated, most hated person in the world, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. for him to come up there and lie and lie and lie, I mean, it is my hope and wish, and I'm sure some of your listeners are going to be like that Winston Bird is a bastard, it will behoove me with such great, great happiness to see Rudy Giuliani and the Kraken Lady and a whole lot of them either end up broke and destitute, or in some kind of penal facility, you know, because I agree. there's a line from all the president's men that one of the uh, Jack Warden's character in the movie says when they're in the Washington Post, they're in a Ben Bradley, Jason Robard's office, he says, you know, hey, you know, we're not a, you know, we, we did, we're not a bunch of zanies trying to bring it down. You know, we didn't ask him to do these things, but yet this, that prior administration did. And this is what, and I'm not saying this because uh, I'm part Delawarean and what have you, and I met Joe Biden on occasion, even when he was a senator. I think he's a great guy. I think he's a nice man. He's always treated me nice. He's met my mother and father, treated them nice, so I ain't got a bad word to say about him. But I just don't like the fact that he's trying to fix this country and everybody's just bullying him. Uh -huh. We had a bully it. in office. And you know yep. what? That bully's going to get his ass kicked by the laws of this government. Soon yeah. enough. I mean, yeah. this is just ridiculous what uh, our country has been reduced to and how the world looks at us. Vladimir oh, Putin is sitting there laughing at us. Angel Angela Merkel was like, Jesus, God, can we help him some kind of way? Boris needs a haircut and a comb. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. What he needs a haircut that? and a comb. You know, I mean, this is somebody that just doesn't take his, you know, when looks at him, it doesn't take his, you know, his, his look seriously when he goes out in the morning. I mean, it just, it it just behooves me there looking at him. It's like, wow, that's disheveled. It's like, what does everybody say? I mean, uh, Xi Jinping, you know, he's just like, I'm just waiting. But he needs to back off a little bit, too. Vladdy needs to back off. You know, this is not, you know, this ain't, this wasn't, you know, four years ago where it's like, oh, do whatever you guys want. No. Joe's not to be messed with. That's why when he had that talk, back off Ukraine. 
That's all I'm going to tell you. You want to find yeah. out? Find out. That's true Delaware response. If you step over the line, you're going to find out how fo- how far my foot goes in your ass. And you know, and you know what? I'm with it. You know, it, it almost seems like if you if you froze somebody, like let's say Ted Williams, and we thaw him out, we bring him back to life and say, listen, this is what's going on right now. They're going to think it's a Mad Magazine issue. They're going to be like, there's no way. There's, I mean, if I would have hung out with my friends back in the late 90s when I was in my 20s and said, listen, the world's going to become this when 2020 begins, none of us would have believed it. It would have been completely unbelievable. But Let me put it to you at. this way. I met Donald Trump in 2002 face-to-face. Oh, this is going to be a story for, for definitely for this podcast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I met Donald J. Trump 2002 at uh, NBC uh, uh, 30 Rock. It was Usher's 21st birthday party, and I got called from a dear friend of mine um, that knew another uh, that knew another gentleman who was in high position to grant me this, and I was like, okay, great. So I put together a really crack big band, got all my friends on it, everything, what have you, and we're playing, and I'm looking out in the audience, and here's Naomi Campbell and uh, uh, Mariah Carey and Patti LaBelle, who remembered me from playing in her band. She's like, oh, my goodness, I thought that was funny. Every Star Jones, everybody was there, and Donald Trump. So I'm in front of the band, and I'm just, you know, band leader. I'm looking out, just checking out bands playing. And I see him coming. He sits down, but I notice his date doesn't sit down. Damn near the whole time he was there. But he got up and came over to me, and he asked if the band knew A-Train, which I was like, sure, Mr. Trump will play it for you. And I had the solo in it. Do you know that this man proceeded to talk my goddamn ear off as I was playing the solo? Everybody was, was behind me looking like, what the hell was he saying to you? I was like, I don't know, man. I just... He's just in my ear, and it was like, and when I got done, I was like, man, it was really nice meeting you. It was really nice talking to you. Get the fuck away from me. You know, oh it was, I, I was just, yeah, yeah, I'll never forget that. I mean, wow. I was nice to him, you know, I was just being, I thought, he, I thought he was a nice guy until he opened his mouth, and then it was like, well, and then when he ran for president, I figured, you know, hey, this is, this is going to go over, like, you know, my, my heart was on Hillary. Yeah, and that was let me, and I'm and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bullshit you at all, man. I called my father that night and told him I was scared. Yeah, my father told me he said, "Son, don't be don't be afraid, don't be afraid, yeah. don't be scared." That was the one yeah. time I'm you know I'm I'm a man and I'm telling him that I'm afraid that this goddamn lunatic has just become leader of us. Oh yeah, I, I, and the one man, thing I, you know what the one thing I want people to remember. If he wasn't president, COVID would have never made it to our shores. Never. And I'm, never. I'm saying that. And if somebody else, you can take it up with me. If he had never, if, if Hillary had been, been chosen to become the leader of this country, COVID would have never made it to our shores. And I'll never. bet every damn thing that I own on it. You know what? My son is 17 now. He has special needs. He's on the autism spectrum. And okay. it's been heartbreaking to watch all this unfold. And I have a stepdaughter, too, who's, like, going on 30. She's 16. So very, very polar opposite. But both well, it's, it's got to be harmful to him because you're keeping him inside and, and he can't interact. Well, this is it. Yeah, you know, when this all happened, you know, he loves school and baseball. And I'm like, two of the things that, like, he loves the most are going down. But so much has changed since then. But I remember uh, we finally got to a point about eight months into this, and he said, Daddy, what does COVID mean? And I, and I explained to him that it's a Chinese airborne virus and it's the 19th. And I said, I'm going to explain something to you right now. And I went through the whole thing. I said, of everything that I don't understand about what's going on with this virus, I will tell you one thing right now that I know for sure. Without a doubt, Donald Trump is the reason why this virus made it over here. They used to have an office under Obama, and they defeated 17 and 18. And it was yeah. very clear that they, were very, they, they hit it on the shores way far away from this country, and this dumbass comes in, dismantles the office, ridicules the World Health Organization, and does everything that an idiot would do out of a dumb book. And he completely brought this here. And I said, of anything that you need to know about COVID for the rest of your life, this is 100% Donald Trump's fault. And that's why I told my special needs son that's having a hard time grappling with what's going on in the world. And that was the only thing I could tell him 100% for sure. So I get it. I, I believe it. I buy it. 
and I, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, and, and, and the one thing I don't want to come up in here and do, my brother, is bash Trump supporters. Because you know what? If there's any listeners out here that are Trump supporters, God bless you. Follow him all the way. I want you to. Because I guarantee you when the day comes, and it's going to come, that the light comes on and you see him for what he really is, may God have mercy on your very soul. Because it's not going to be a pretty picture when you see him and his family and everyone around him for what he really is and what he thinks of you. Uh That's going to be a very bitter pill to take. But until then, follow him all the way. I want you to. Because you, in this country, in America, you have a right to believe in who you wish to believe. That's That's your given right in the United States of America. You can back any politician that you want. That's your given right. It was fought for that right. But when you go over that cliff and he's in front of you with his wig just waving in the air and you're getting closer and closer to plummeting the earth, just remember the words that I told you in this podcast. And I'm going to pray for you. Because the day, when the day comes, Joe, that this country and the world, well, most of the world knows what he is, but those that are blinded by the bullshit, when they see it for what it is, it's going to be, it's going to be a day of reckoning like you never believe. You're going to see people running from him in droves yeah. to say, I don't know why I did this. Yeah, well, and a lot of us, you know, when it really got thick, because, you know, he ended a lot of friendships. Yeah. He ended a lot of friendships. And there are they're people that I used to be great friends with until they got under his guise that I'll never speak to again. But there's going to come a day where it's like, hey, man, look, you know, um, I'm, I'm really sorry, man. I, 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 I wasn't myself, man. You know, I, I know I was following him, but, you know, can we be friends again? And see, at that point, I have to ask myself, after all the names you called me, after the way you slighted me and shaded me because you had your head so far up his ass, and then you want to come, you know, pontificate about forgiveness to me. If you want to find out about forgiveness, go read the Bible. Don't tell me yeah. about it. I forgave you, but that doesn't mean I have to, 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 to friend you. Yeah. You spoke your piece against me. That's never going to change. Words are like bullets. Once they go out, they can't go back. And I Absolutely. can take a broken friendship to the grave because it only takes one time for a person to show me what the they are. And a lot Absolutely. of his supporters and his people have shown me that. Yep. Absolutely. They certainly have. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, we'll, we'll switch gears here and get into a happier place. And I want to yes, know, yes, first, yes. And for, first and foremost, with you, you know, we all have this flashpoint with jazz when we get into it. How did that happen for you? How did this become your life? 1986, sitting home in Winona, New Jersey, and I'm watching the Grammy Awards, ironically. <laughs> and it was their last really great tribute to jazz. I'll give them that. Because I haven't seen anything since then that will that could equal this, and I'm sure somebody's going to hear this and say, "Oh, we got to try and do that again." Well, if you do try it again, why don't you include me in it? Basically, the band was Buddy Rich, Tony Williams, Ron Carter, Stanley Clark, BB King, Stanley Jordan, uh, Gary Burton, Bobby Hutcherson, John Faddis, my hero, Dizzy Gillespie, my big time hero. David Sanborn, Jerry Mulligan, let's see, who else? The Manhattan Transfer, Sarah Vaughn, my SS Norway hanging buddy, Joe Williams, another dear friend that I love working with, and I hope to see her soon, Diane Shore, and great Sarah Vaughn. I was 13 years old when I saw that. It blew me out. Because when I heard Faddis play, Grooving high. And I was already a trumpet player at the time, but I was originally a drummer. I was turned out. It was like, I did everything. I just, I got to nail that high F. I have to do everything to nail that high F. I keep hearing that high F. I have to do that. And that's when I got really turned on to Dizzy Gillespie and John Faddis. Everybody else. And then came Randy Brecker because just something about Randy and Michael Brecker, the way they approach music was like, I like that. It was like, to me as a kid, it was like, they're playing all these weird notes, but these weird notes are really cool. 
You know, it's not like, you know, melody, that, 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 you know, it's like, dude, they didn't, did it, did it. I'm like, oh man, this is quite like this. So it's what I gravitated towards. As a seventh grader, I listened to John. I listened to Dizzy. I listened to Randy Brecker. I listened to Don Ellis. And as I kept going through, I listened to Lou Soloff, like seventh, eighth grade, ninth. By the time I got to, let me see, by freshman year, I was already in, you know, all South Jersey bands, jazz bands, what have you know, competing and, and stuff like that. But I wanted to even go past that. So weekends, I would get to, you know, I get to play like professional musicians, you know, and these guys are older than me and I'm here as kid and they're like, oh, well, I guess a kid can play, work with us. I didn't start playing professionally until I was 16. I was still in school. I was playing with an R&B Chicago-type rock band. I was playing trumpet in this band. It's called Don't Call Me Francis. And thank God, these guys are still around. I see them whenever I go back home to visit and what have you. But uh, their leader, Frank Orsini, he, you know, he put an ad in the paper. Trumpet player, wanted for whatever. I was, you know, I was a junior, uh, junior in high school, just getting ready to start summer vacation. I went over to his house. I played. He liked me. He gave me the job. There were guys that were older than me didn't get the job. So I said, okay, fine. So I stayed there for, like, almost the rest of my school year, you know, even into senior high. And the deal was with my folks, you know, they were like, look, you got this job. It's all cool. Give us a hard C. If you give us less than that, you're going to have to quit the band. And you got your homework's got to be done before you leave for the gig. Because I was coming in, like, you know, one thirty, two, three in the morning. And I was given the option to go to school. If I got my homework done... I went to school. I didn't have to go to school. And my mother would go up there and bring my homework for me and bring it home. But, you know, I, I you know, slogged it out a few times. A few times I had a hangover walking in there. But, <laughs> you know, that's, that's just par for the course growing up. But by the grace of God, nobody ever, nobody even knew. And a lot of people that I see from those days, it was like, you know, I was in high school when I was playing in that band, right? You know, I wasn't supposed to be in that club, right? You know, and these clubs are since long gone. But when I look at other musicians' backgrounds, like, say, a Randy Brecker or a Michael Brecker or, you know, even Lou Sultan, all these guys, all my heroes, they started out that young or even younger, you know? So that was cool. I mean, look at Tony Williams. He had to, you know, he had to, you know, write a mustache on his face so he could look older. You know, so I think. The man upstairs finds those spirits and he gives them these gifts and says, well, you're going to start early and take over the world. Go get them, kid. You know, it's, you know, it's nice like that. I'm, I'm very thankful for the, the gift that I got, you know, because it was right after that. I left that band and I figured, you know, next thing to do after high school would be go to college. I didn't go. Well, actually I did, but I dropped out before I got, you know, because I was offered to go on the road with the stylistics. I wasn't sure if my mother and father would let me go because this is big time. And my mother was always afraid to let go of her baby. But I guess because of the fact that, you know, this is stylistics and they, my parents knew their music was like, oh, shoot, take him. You know? <laughs> so, mm. And I still say about those guys, they taught me damn near everything I know and needed to know because when I left them and went on to really go, I, I was, I was seasoned. I was really, really seasoned, but for any musician out there that might be listening that knows this, the Chitlin circuit is a proving ground. I mean, it's not around really that much anymore, but for those guys who know about the Chitlin circuit, <laughs> boy, oh boy, oh boy. I could write a book about it on it alone. <laughs> and uh, you learn a lot. You learn, you learn how to survive. You learn how to survive. You learn how to save your money. You learn how to try and keep the hell out of trouble as best you can. You learn life hacks. We were learning life hacks before life hacks became a term, like today. And we're talking 30 years ago, 30, what, 31 years ago. I mean, cooking pot, you know, in your hotel room or going find a griddle and, you know, grilling steaks in your hotel room so you don't have to go out and spend, you know, $200 in dinner. You know, it was great. It was good old days, you know. By the time I left them, 
And then I joined up with Illinois Jaquette and Frank Foster, Count Basie, and man, I was ready. I was really ready. But I still had to learn some. Because even though I was going from an R&B setting into a real, real deep jazz setting, I could already play, but I still needed to know some things. So I just opened my head up and just took it all in. And from Illinois Jaquette and Ellington to T.S. Monk to the Grateful Dead to a lot of people, you know, I've just been very, very fortunate. You know, to the Coltrane tribute with Reggie Workman, I, they, you know, it just – I. I've been very, very fortunate to play with a lot of people. And I look at my heroes, and I would say to myself, well, I'm never going to get a chance to play with Frank Sinatra. I'm never going to get a chance to play with Jaco Pastorius like my heroes did. But I'm going to take what the hell I can get now. You know, it's interesting. There was a singer here in Kansas City. Her name's Molly Hammer. She passed last year. And uh-huh. she had cancer and went to remission oh. a few times. And I remember I spoke with her after the first time she came out of it. She was doing good, and we were sitting in a club uh, called the Green Lady Lounge talking, and I said, what did you learn from going through cancer? What is it that really, like, resonates with you now? She said, I don't say no anymore. I take take all the gigs that I can take. Not not out of any level of frivolity at all, but just, you know, the thing is, is that you got to grab opportunity when it's there, and I hear a lot of musicians say that, and I think that's, pretty sage because that's that's how you get better that's how you grow i mean there's you know and and what i'm what i want to ask you too is and we kind of touched on this a little bit when you look at life and you take a pie chart and you look at it and you slice it out and you have to give a percentage to luck and you have to give a percentage to hard work what's your pie graph look like my pie graph would probably look 20 percent luck 40 to 45 percent hard work and another forty to forty-five percent of prayer. You gotta, you gotta have, you gotta have your mind right. You gotta have your mind. If you're doing this for the wrong reasons, you gonna get the wrong benefits. And I see people doing this for the wrong reasons, and they getting the wrong benefits, sitting up there saying, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm the shit." And I'm looking at them like, "You poor bastard." And then they come up five years later ain't got a dime to their name or somebody even took them for, for everything they had and they ran them under the bus and what have you. It's like, ah, damn it, we tried to tell you back then and you didn't want to listen, you know? So now, like, with my pie chart, yeah, because it's about prayer. It's about, yeah, luck comes into it. You know, you, there's that little thing about being at the right place at the right time. Yeah, that's happened to me a few times. I tend to be, I'm not the exemplary Christian in the world. I don't quote Bible verses. I'm not preaching to anybody, but I know that there's something bigger than me and bigger than all of us. I just feel that. As, you know, as, I don't think we're here by accident. And we just didn't evolve by accident. I don't think so. Uh, I just think that when you're put in certain positions or certain situations, I think that's like that put up or shut up type of situation. Like, okay, you wanna you wanna play with so and so? All right, boom. Now you're playing with so and so. And it's like, holy shit, I'm I'm on the stage what? Do your best. And that's what a lot of my life has been like. You know? Do your best. I'm like, oh my God, I'm on stage with Patty LaBelle. Let me play my behind off. Oh my god, I'm on stage with blood, sweat, and tears. Let me try to play my behind off. That's what it's all about. A lot of people say luck, 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 luck. Yeah, there's times where, you know, but I also believe that there's 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 a spiritual, there's a spiritual kind of, you want to call it luck, that you're put in a situation and it's just how you respond to it, you know? Like, oh, my God, this cat just won $10 million. Okay, when you give something to somebody that they've never had anything before, you see their personality intensify, good, bad, or indifferent. And I've seen that in every facet of society, entertainment, sports, business, what have you. I've seen people that had nothing, and all of a sudden they're given damn near the world. And some of them become beautiful people. Some people stay the same way they are. A good number of them become assholes, and they just muddy up the waters for the rest of them. And that's sad when that happens. But on the real side, yeah, that's that's what it is. That's what that is. But um, getting back to you know to the original thing, 
you know, I, I, I believe in luck, but I also believe in, in doing the right thing because if you do the right thing and you keep doing the right thing, you're going to get put in a position where somebody will look at it as luck, but it's just going to be a blessing to you, you know? Absolutely. You know, you've been at this for a long, long time as a professional. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so I'm going to boil all these it decades was A down. long, long time. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I'm going to boil it because you, you started at 16. So I'm going to boil this down to one. No, I think it's funny. I thought it was funny when you said that. Forgive me. I just... Yeah, right. No, 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 no. You're good. You're good. I just didn't want. I just didn't want you. Want to make you think that my uh, my my statement was aging you at all? Because you know what, I'm Joe, I had an old I had an old stylistics bandmate of mine by the name of Will Brock, incredible keyboard player. I think he's playing he's playing with either Richard L. I think he's playing with Richard Elliott, somebody like that. But he's an incredible keyboard player. We were in the stylistics together as teenagers, and I remember he got on the band a year after I got on, and. Um, he wished me happy birthday the other day. He said, happy birthday, old man. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> you know, and I had to say, old oh, man. I said, you know, yeah, well, you know what? I was the youngest guy in the band until you showed up. So, <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. My question is, what, what do you like the best about being a professional musician? What's the most enjoyable um, part of it? I think the, the most enjoyable part of playing music is touching a person's soul is actually to be able to communicate with an audience or someone in the audience without even saying a word to be able to to speak your piece and not offend anybody music when people come to hear you play it's a nice thing when those same people appreciate you for what you do too my my whole thing is just it's just connecting with the audience in, in a way where you don't have to exchange any words. I think that's a beautiful thing. And then when the whole band connects together, you know, when the whole band connects together as a whole and the audience can feel it, that's that's just, that's that's another win-win, you know? I think that outweighs more, you know, than money, accolades, you know, fame, all that stuff. It's just, it's just being appreciated and, 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 the, and the ability to communicate. This stuff is just gravy and icing. So if you have a dream tonight, you run into your younger self around the time that you were starting to become a professional, and you could give your younger self one piece of advice based on what you've learned throughout all these years. And this isn't about regret. It's about wisdom. What would you tell your younger self? Set your boundaries and stand your ground, and don't take any shit off anybody. That's what I would tell my younger self. If I, if I could sit down and talk to a 16-year-old me, before he's about to go out and do whatever. And, 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 and the last thing I say, don't think about getting married too soon. Yeah. Just, just live. If she'll, she'll show up after a while. I'm still not married. I almost got married a couple times. I'm glad I didn't because this interview might not be happening had I did. I mean, it just, the, these were not the ones. And, to be able to find someone that will share you with the music is is a great endeavor. And if it happens, it happens. If not, I am perfectly happy of being the lone wolf that I have been since I was 16. Beautiful. So everyone has a perception of you, an idea of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans. But ultimately, you have a perception of yourself. You live your life. Who do you think you are? Well, you know, it's funny that you ask that question because since I moved to L.A., I mean, I didn't experience this too much when I was in New York, but when I moved to L.A. and I played around for the first few days I was, I was playing around, you know, going to rehearsals, whatever, I mean, everybody was talking about me. And, I mean, that talk was happening pretty damn fast. But what I didn't kind of like within that talk was everybody was prejudging me. Everybody was saying what I was before. They even got to know me. And very few people got to know me in the beginning because it was like, oh, there's this hot shot guy, and he can play all high, and he can do this, and he can do that. And it's like, yeah, but he's also down to earth, and, you know, he likes good conversation, and he looks at the world. You know, he doesn't have blinders on and stuff like that, you know. He's a sensitive guy and stuff like that. But if I were to describe me, Jesus. Um, I would just say 
a simple man that enjoys some nice things here and there, that likes to walk out in the sun, that doesn't mind walking in the rain, that respects God and man for what they are, and is just trying to do the best that he can with the gifts that God gave him. And he just wants to live amongst the people and just do his thing without hurting anybody. That's all. Beautiful. That's a great way to wrap everything up. Winston, man, this has been wonderful, illuminating. Thank you for opening <laughs> up. It has, man. I mean, well you, you know, well, you know, I didn't get a chance to even talk to you. I mean, if this can go any further, I wanted to say, how's the Blue Room? How's the, how's the, how's the museum? How is the Grafton Alto Sax? I, it's still under glass, and so nobody's touching it. I mean, I love KC, and I love Gates, and I love, you know, Bobby Watson. Bobby, if you're watching this, I love you, man. I miss you. And, you know, there's a lot of great stuff. And the last time I was in, in KC was with Monk a bunch of years ago and we played at the, at the blue room and it was so great. Uh, it, 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 it's beautiful out there. I lo and I love the airport. I think I'm, I'm a, I'm a big architectural junkie and uh, I like the way that the Casey airport looks. That's so cool. I yeah. always like that. Yeah. Right on. Well, yeah, that's, that's one of the few people that have said something good about it. They're actually combining it into one terminal, but man, I got to tell you, Kansas city's doing great. I mean, when this, People are moving here. You know, things keep going. Clubs have stayed open. The Cavs Good. are still doing their thing. You know, Bobby retired, but he still plays a lot locally. So, yeah, I mean, Kansas City is one of those towns. This is an interesting fact. When everything closed down in March, we were one of the longest-running cities to have live music because Pendergast had this open back in Prohibition days. So oh, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had one of the longest runs domestically of live jazz in the world. So when that happened, but everything's getting back. I've got, I've been safe with my wife. We go out, we see shows and I, I've, I've done hundreds of interviews with musicians since this began. And the overwhelming sentiment is positivity. In fact, one of the things, because my son, you know, we didn't have school. We didn't have things going on. We'd get out and drive and see, you know, lakes and yeah. nature. And it's, it's just widespread here. And I, and, and I would put the, interviews on speaker for my stepdaughter and for miles and they got to listen to all these jazz musicians and that really pulled us through this pandemic so i can unequivocally say the timber and tenor and positivity that came from the voices of the world of jazz was so therapeutic to my kids they got to see what i love to do but they also got to hear all of these wise you know wisdom filled rhetoric conversations i mean i always imagine that Jazz cats are like the the Jazz Jedi Council in Cloud City and Empire Strikes Back. They're all up there. <laughs> they're they're in their turbans. They well, let's see who would be out. sitting on that council. Bobby would be sitting on that council. George Cables would be sitting on that council. Let's see uh, who else would be sitting on it. John Vadis would definitely be sitting on that council. Uh, my goodness, Sonny Randy Rollins. would. Be, Sonny Rollins is definitely sitting at the high chair. In the, in the highest chair of that council, uh, most most definitely, um, we're all the guys you know trying to earn our stripes under those guys. And, and again, for those that are listening, I hope that this was not too dark. But we got to say these things. We have to say Amen. we got we got to say these things because if you keep them bottled up inside you, these are the things that cause cancer. These are the yeah. things that cause leukemia. These are the things you have to get that stuff outside of you. You have to speak. You have to say. But it's not about. Let me just say all these nasty things. It's not nasty things. It's like you got to, you know, we got we to gotta learn to, like, really love each other again. We, we're going to have uh -huh. to relearn how to love each other again. Uh-huh. Yeah. We we're are. going to have to relearn how to do that. There's, I don't see any other way. No, I don't either. And there's been interviews that have started off where politics have happened, and it's like, we got to cut all that out. We can't do this. Well, I, th this was wonderful, and I think it's very fitting. And I've been very careful on my end not to get too political and, you know, alienate and do anything. But you're right. We have to get this out. Whether an artist does it in music or people do it in words, this, especially during this time, when I think about the 60s and all of these revolutionary periods in our history, this is the time where it's like, you know what? Uh-uh. This is not 
okay. This is not okay. Why yeah. is it that we're still dealing with 20th century problems in the 21st century? Yeah, right, I know. You know what I'm saying? Unreal. And if we want to go about racism, racism is a 19th century problem that yeah. we're still dealing or 18th century problem that we're still dealing with in the 21st century, worse than ever. Worse. We we're gonna have to relearn how to love each other again. Yep. Amen. You're there, totally it, right. It's, it's either that or oblivion. That's mm -hmm. all. I'm, I, and, I, and that's not a threat. That is the choice. That is the precipice. It's that's truth. where we're at. Yep. You're totally right, man. It's the truth, and the beauty of what you cats do is you bring joy to the world, you bring truth. And, and as far as I'm concerned, of all the professions and things that I've been through in my life, jazz musicians embody the best of humanity. They are the humble, uh, brilliant practitioners of an art form that genuinely mimics what we're living right now. You all are thrown into the unknown, and you have to make it sound beautiful, and that's what we're doing right now in COVID. And that's the thing that I think I, I have embraced and and appreciated so much out of the jazz community. Is you know what's something I I appreciate you saying that because as Dexter Gordon once said, we are we are those that we can pull something out of nothing and give Absolutely. it right back to the audience. Absolutely. You know, just to create on the spot and give it to the audience and say here. That's it. Absolutely. Winston, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you for opening up. I appreciate it. Good luck as we move forward and hopefully I see you live here in Kansas City at some point. Yes, you, you will. Through. You will. Yes, as soon as you know, as soon as we get things going again, once we really get a hold on this, Casey is definitely going to be one of my stops and to come out there and see you and hit me up on Facebook, say hello, check out the iTunes, what have you. Uh, come to a Craig Robinson show if you can. I'm usually running with somebody. If I'm not running with Craig, I'm running with somebody else or here or there, what have you. So it would be great to see your faces. Again, without a mask, hopefully, let's beat this damn COVID into the ground so we can love each other again, so we can hug each other again, so we can kiss each other again, so we can touch each other again. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in Los Angeles, New Jersey, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Winston for his time, music, and cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.